Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello there and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, real, family-friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Now, I'm your host or co-host, Mitch, and I'm joined by Ando. Ando, how are you this evening? Mate, I am loving life. It's been a good start to the week. Had some good family time over the weekend. And the Band-Aid, which is the Waratahs season, has had itself finally torn off. So the pain is over <laughs> and uh, we have the unmitigated success, which will be the super uh, the Trans-Tasman comp coming up. So very excited. Very optimistic. Very Love it. <laughs> so um, Continuing on from our trend from last week, I've got a rugby question for you as a nice kind of icebreaker. Hey, hey, hang on, hang on. I'm going to jump in here, mate. I'm going to jump in here. You had, without a doubt, an offer from Goog Harrison, from Justin Harrison on Twitter to go out for a romantic dinner with you and he'd even wear his best brown suit. So I'm going to put a petition out there for our loyal listeners to get involved and make sure that Harrison comes through with this and that you follow him up and you have that dinner, my friend. Oh, I was a bit worried when he said that he needed um, free reign of the wine list. I think it could end up being quite a costly night. Mate, just like take one just of your cards it. and have no money on it. It'll be okay. <laughs> so, sorry, it's declined. I'll try another one. Oh, it's declined. <laughs> That's declined to guess you'll have to carry it, mate. Cover it, mate. <laughs> no, that would, yeah, that would be very awesome. Up. That'd be sick. That'd yeah, be very cool. good. I'll have to um I'll have to work on that. We'll see how that goes. Maybe it can be a double date, like uh uh Harrison and Mertz and you and me. So Ooh. we'll have a double date because we know that the two of them love each other, or at the very oh, yeah. least, Mertz loves Harrison. So that would just be a wonderful, wonderful match. That could be a very juicy night. I could see yep. things All right, going. Let's places. get involved. Stansport <laughs> AU crew, uh, get involved. We'd love to have a dinner and we we will pay for one palmy each. Okay, we'll, we'll cover the palmy. <laughs> we Anything will. else is on them. Fantastic, fantastic. So my question for you, Ando, yep. is if you've got a time machine, you can go to any rugby game in history, not to be involved in the game, but just to attend as a fan. Which game would it be and why? Oh, um, the problem that you're asking me here is my, my historical knowledge of the game of rugby isn't too strong. Um, I know a lot about since I started following it, if, four or five years back particularly closely but i am guessing even look, in I, your even in your history yeah yeah no no game. i'm going with that don't worry i've got a game um i would love to have been there when japan got that final minute try to beat south africa okay yeah that would have been yeah in brighton the miracle in brighton i would have loved to have been there just to experience that historic moment within kind of tier two slash one rugby and see the behemoth that was springbok rugby upset or uh taken down by the precision and passion of the uh brave blossoms that would that would have been absolutely incredible that's one match that just sends tingles down my spine whenever i watch replays of it and i yeah i would absolutely have loved to have been there very nice i had you pinged for the wallabies victory over england in the world cup when we kicked them out of their own comp i I thought that's where you were going but i'd have to be second I know that you do. Yeah. Love that. 
And now you've got a soft... As, as, as a spectacle. As a spectacle, I think that Japan game would have been better. Yeah. But as a stick it to the mother country, there is so much that is within that 2015 victory over England that, that yeah, that's a very close run second. Thank you for reading my mind. Yeah, nice. All right. Why don't you uh, go through our socials? All right. Very keen. Very keen. So what we're going to do is we're going to throw that question out there to the fans as well. If you had that time machine, you could go back and be at any sporting moment, well, rugby sporting moment in history, what would it be and why? So you can hit that up on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook pick and drive rugby podcast or Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Very, very nice. I'm actually really looking forward to hearing what everyone's got to say. Yeah, some really cool. cool games. There's so many games out there that come to mind when you think of that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing. And how many of those are actually Wallabies games? Because you had to steer away from a Wallabies game. Yeah. And how exactly. many people stick with Wallabies games or just where we're currently sitting thinks we'll watch an, a New Zealand game or a South African game? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, on to Super Brew for this week. The Yellow Cap winner was, 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 was. Is the player <laughs> was was W A Z? Congratulations, yes. was congratulations. First yellow cap for the round or for the comp for you. Um, and if we look at the, I guess the standings coming in into the end of the regular round of Super Rugby, Hair Red still sitting in top spot on twenty five points. Tombs in second spot on twenty three points, and Rebels S three is in third spot on 23 points. So there's been a little bit of movement there. And Liquor Box, who was previously, I think, in second, has moved down into fourth, also on 23 points. So it's getting tied up there at the end. There's only two games left in the competition. I'm really excited to see who's going to take it out. It's pretty impressive. I I would be amazed if her red threw it from here. Um, if he if he or she did not claim the final uh, win. And I think it's really just, well, obviously it's up to Tombs and Rebels 3 to be the one to get there. So best of luck to the top three and we'll see who takes out the crown moving forward. Actually, Liquor Box is on 23 as well. So yeah, yeah it's tied. It's winners. tied on sort of second spot and yep. um, Hair Red's a little bit ahead on 25 points. So he's got a two point buffer, but... You know, we could get an upset next week and that could throw the whole thing into disarray. <laughs> Let's see. Who Let's knows? See. So tonight we will be diving into spicy news first. We'll cover some domestic stuff and then dive into international. Then we will talk about the last round of Super Rugby AU, which was round 10, two games to review there. Then we'll dive into our locker room questions, the questions from the fans, the, uh, what you want to hear answered. And then we will preview the semi-final coming up next weekend with a bit of an unlikely team that was going to be in there. So very much looking forward to chatting around that one. Awesome. Anything else let's you wanted to it. say? You, you ready to go? Yeah, let's go, mate. I'm keen. Let's go. Let's go. All right. We're hitting up the spicy news now, like normal, domestic, then international. So let's start with the domestic. Dane Hellepenny. We thought we were, he was, did I call him Dane Hale at Penny? Penny. Penny. <laughs> he's just on my mind, isn't he? Um, he's still not able to play due to concussion. We thought he was going to be back this week for the match against the Tars, but he was on the sideline. So that's, that's concerning. Any quick comments on that one? It was interesting. Um, if you go back and watch, uh, I know you missed the actual coverage of the game, but they interviewed Dane at halftime at the Waratahs game. And he said that he was actually fit to play this week, but Rugby Australia intervened and said, let's not rush back. Like we're trying to rush you at the moment. There's no, there's no need for you to come back and play rugby this week because you're, 
it, it appears yep. that you're rushing in to play finals football. That's now off the cards for the for the Rebels. Let's mm-hmm. um, give it mm-hmm. another few weeks. Um, and so he was told by Rugby Australia not to play. Um, yep. Interesting. I wonder if that comes from a Wallabies mindset or just a yeah. general well-being mindset of um, rugby trying to uh, protect one of their higher profile players, particularly around such an important discussion as concussion. Uh, so he did mention that he thinks he might get some club rugby in the next few weeks and then he'll come through that system first. But it's going to be pretty tough for him if his first game of professional rugby for 2021 is in the Trans-Tasman comp. I feel pretty <laughs> um, hard done by for Dean. All right. Well, we also have a couple of judicial charges which came up over the weekend. We had Izzy Nicerani getting sent off for a uh, high shot, followed up by a couple of fisticuffs with Lockie <laughs> Swinton. So I think he'll be looking at a minimum of three weeks. But as of recording, we haven't heard anything about that yet. Uh, Tavita Kurundrani has also been cited for his tip tackle on... Um, it was on Pata- Hunter uh, Paisami. Yeah, yeah, on Hunter Paisami. So it was a tip tackle again. I'm not sure if he'll get a heavy ban for that one. I didn't think it was too bad. Um, well, he does so... He does land on his head. So there is yeah. a shot. You can see a shot yeah. where he lands on his face. So Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just didn't think it was with too much force or too much mouse. It wasn't like a horrific one like you sometimes see. Um, but who, either way, there will be a punishment coming in the next day or two regarding that one. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Out. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get two or three weeks similar to Isaiah yeah. Parisi earlier in the season. Very, very similar. Um, yep. And the same player that ended up copying the, the tackle <laughs> and it's interesting i wonder if people just go hard at hunter Paisami because they know how physical he is and so the defenders know they need to up the ante a bit and that results in rash plays well we will uh, talk about that later as we get into the game because yep. the tables did turn this week they did so there's also news that's come out today or uh late yesterday in terms of the viewing rating so the average has gone up 144 percent compared to last year so this is a ch- to Stan Sports and Channel 9, and it's absolutely fantastic. The numbers are up 144%, and that's even before the two finals. So any quick comment on that one, Mitch? Well done, Raylene Castle. I think she needs to wear the credit for this one. (laughs) Yes. Um, She had the courage to step away from Fox Sports and take the broadcast rights to market. Um, There Mm -hmm. was a lot of talk at the time around maybe we're not going to end up with a broadcast partner you could say that this is the reason that the Waratahs are now in such a bad way financially or with their player roster because of that decision and COVID, all those things combined. But the fact is we're up 144%. We're on free to air. It's paying dividends and fantastic to see the game growing. And I just feel like there's momentum this year. There's momentum in that people are aware of rugby again. The teams are performing well. Well, the the top two teams are performing really well. I just feel like, we're on the edge of something great coming. I don't want to put too much pressure on the Wallabies, but I just feel like next year or two, something's going something's gonna, to gonna happen. Talking about momentum, Penrith have recorded first ever shoot shield, well, not first ever, first their ever. first victory in, well, seems like it, 2,471 days. Why don't you speak to that one, Mitch? Yeah, fantastic for Penrith. Um, perennial underdogs for the last few years of the shoot shield, even being kicked out for a few years. So they've been back now for two years, I think two and a half years. Uh, and they got their first victory against the Western Sydney two blues over the weekend. So great to see that they've got a victory. I guess that is 
and and the thing for me around this victory was if you see the the footage of the victory, it actually means so much to the players. Yeah, it's incredible. Now, there is a lot of discussion around Shoot Shield fans that there's a big gap between the top of the comp and the bottom of the table every year, that just the level of rugby and that Penrith and Western Sydney and some of these clubs are the kind of, you go out there and you you can expect to- yeah, the whipping quite a, yeah, yeah, expect to record quite an easy victory, but- it meant so much to these guys to see them get that victory and they're all in there like they've just won the Bledisloe back. So fantastic to see and hopefully the first of a few more this year for them. Yep, absolutely well done and look forward to seeing many more victories on the horizon. So the international side of things, um, there was the Rainbow Cup has been divided up. So so the South African teams are playing in their own comp. Uh, Anything further you want to add onto that one? I was really confused by that this weekend. I didn't actually see the news come out that they weren't playing this week. So there was talks that the Rainbow Cup was meant to go ahead and the first round was this weekend. So if you went on stand on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday last week, you could see the matches lined up on the uh, the, like the, the tracker um, of games coming up this weekend. And then there was the Super Rugby, uh, sorry, the South African Super Rugby sides teed up to play as well. So Sunday morning, I had a bit of time on my hands. So I thought, oh, I'll see how the Super Rugby Australians, uh, South African Super Rugby sides went and I couldn't find them anywhere. And was, this is a bit <laughs> unusual. Then I had to go digging and found out that since South Africa is no longer participating properly in the, the Rainbow Cup, they've decided to postpone their season a week and they're going to play a, a short form competition of their own. I think they're calling it Rainbow Cup SA. Uh, and it will see the four Super Rugby sides take on each other in a mini competition. Um, bit unusual. Not great for South African rugby in terms of preparation for the Lions series. Another blow that South Africa probably didn't need to take at the current time, particularly financially. Yep. Um, yep. But I guess it, being positive, they will have some rugby. Hopefully, it will get the match fit come time the, the Lions arrive to play those three tests. And being even more positive, you can catch the Rainbow Cup on Stan Sport. You mentioned it earlier, but it was a somewhat recent acquisition. So if you do want to catch some European or South African rugby, just go to Stan Sport and you can watch. uh, Currently, there's Ulster versus Connacht up and Edinburgh versus Zebra. So of those, I'd probably go Ulster, Connacht, although I don't rate Connacht or Zebra. I actually chose the other game to watch. So Edinburgh, Zebra. I had wish you had told me that earlier, but I don't. At the, I think Saturday, <laughs> Sunday morning, they hadn't played the other game yet, so yeah, okay. I think I only had yep. one option. Now, nah, Austria, uh, Edinburgh is a decent team, but Zebra, uh, the Italian team, are traditionally poor. Um, so I would have thought Austria and Connacht is better overall. Yeah, uh, but anyway, any other international news we need to cover, mate? The Crusaders have beaten the Blues over in New Zealand, so that has confirmed that they will host the final for Super Rugby Aotearoa for the second year going. Well, actually, no. Sorry, for the first year they don't. They didn't play a finals last year. So, oh, yeah, for the first point. year the Crusaders are hosting a final at home. Um, they have confirmed their top number one in the New Zealand competition, but it will be interesting because the Chiefs played some pretty good rugby over the weekend and are finishing very fast. So, I would not be surprised to see the final being the Chiefs versus the Crusaders. And if that was the case, it could go either way. Yep. Well, let's shift on then. I think we've spoken enough about the news. Let's get into the Australian rugby, beginning with our round 10 review. Let's go. Okay, now we're into the final round of Super Rugby AU for 2021. Now, this first game of the round saw the Western Force hosting the Queensland Reds on Friday afternoon in at HBF Oval over in Perth. 
Um, bit of an upset victory for this one. So Western Force ended up coming over the Chocolates, 30 points to 27. Now, if we run through some of the stats, it was a very, very tight game. And a lot of the stats lead us to to think that. So four <laughs> tries to the Western Force, three tries to the Reds, two conversions by the Force, three by the Reds, two penalties by the Force, or two penalties all. Uh, the Reds had 100% kick percentage success where the Force only had 67%. Uh, the Western Force had 50% possession. The possession was shared 50% both teams. The Western Force had 46% territory. The Reds had 54% territory. The Western Force made 375 meters in with ball in hand. The Reds made 372 meters with balls in hand. Very, very tight for a lot of these stats so far. Um, if we look at clean breaks, eight to the Western Force, 10 to the Reds. Now, defenders beaten, and this is the one that really stands out. The Western Force yep. only beat 12 defenders. The Reds beat 32, 20 defenders more than the Force. Um, if we look at offloads, five offloads to the Western Force, four offloads to the Reds. So overall, very, very tight. Um, the set piece, five, uh, 100% set, set piece success for both teams so five from five scrums for the force seven from seven for the reds um line outs both on 80 percent success rate eight out of ten for the force 12 out of 15 for the reds if we look at the penalty count 16 penalties for the force 10 points to the reds now very tight game in terms of statistics and i guess in terms of overall um atmosphere and how the game panned out what were your thoughts around this one ando I think it's an absolutely fantastic achievement that the force got up over the Reds. I think they rode their luck in a couple of circumstances that I'll talk about later. But regardless, you take what opportunities are presented to you. And if luck is there for you on a night, then fantastic. Um, So they really deserve from their performances, more so in kind of this latter half of the season, to be to have snuck their way into that third playoff or the qualifying final. So big congratulations to the force. Uh, They did what no other team in the competition has been able to do so far and beat the Queensland Reds. So there is a lot to like about this force team. And I don't think it's the end of the road, obviously, for the Reds. I think that they will take some very, very important lessons from this match and go home and prepare well for either the Brumbies or the force in the home final. If they can get home. Oh, they're Which they can. They can. As of this afternoon. I know they can. They are home, but um, they were in Sydney. So a bit of an, yep. um, an upset to, I guess, the preparations for the final for the Reds. And this is probably not the result they wanted, but in some ways it might be a good thing for them. A, a bit of a reality check in some ways, because I don't think they really wanted to cruise to an easy victory against the Western Force and be tested in that final. I think this probably came, this upset and this, performance um, against them came at a great time because it now gives them two weeks to really analyze their game plan, analyze the areas where they got outplayed and they weren't quite as up to scratch as they should have been, and then fix those for whoever they play in the final. We could be seeing the Western Force playing the Reds in two weeks' time come in Brisbane. So um, they've they've been able to beat the Brumbies. The Western Force have come very close. Um, I think this is a good thing overall for Australian rugby. And I'm, I was just very excited by the result. You mentioned just before the idea of the Reds going away and trying to fix some of the mistakes that they made on the weekend. What were some of the areas you highlight that you have highlighted you think that the Reds did poorly or the Force were particularly strong in? I think one area that the Force 
and I have to attribute this to the force doing well, was putting pressure on the Reds in terms of line speed. Yeah. So the force was so intent at the breakdown, but also so quick in defensive line speed that the West, but by the time the Reds got the ball to the first receiver, they were already on top of by the Western force. So the force was so often up in their faces and making big hits and being very physical that the, the Reds weren't able to have the time and space to um, unleash their wider backs. And I don't think they were as effective as using Hunter Paisami, um, Filippo Dungunu, uh, Dung, uh, I said Dungunu, who was on the other wing? Uh, Pattaya. So normally that that is how the, the Reds this season have been so dominant by having space and time for their outside backs and the Western Force were very good at shutting that down. Yeah, I completely agree. For me, my shout on that one is not so much defensive line speed, but it's uh, line-out pressure. So my kind of man of the match for the force wouldn't have been Jordan Oluwafella because of his hat trick. It actually would have been Jeremy Thrush. I heavily rate Jeremy Thrush. And in this match, if you go back and just focus solely on the lineouts, um, he almost single-handedly manages to steal like three of the opposition or the Reds' lineouts simply by the speed at which he can get up off the ground, but also... He's half a step forward in front of the Reds' jumpers, and he seems to be able to identify who they're going to each time. So it's good analysis there. And he just continually is getting up in front of the Reds' jumper and either stealing or disrupting the line-out. And it just showed you the pressure that that can put upon the line-out throwers as well. Because, I mean, the Reds, who did they have starting at hooker? It was um, Murphy. Murphy isn't a renowned uh, isn't a renowned thrower of the ball. Oh, no, it was BPA. It was BPA. Um, his, his accuracy isn't particularly great. And he kind of showed on a night that uh, even when he was still getting it to the right person, it wasn't always clean and Thrush was disrupting it. And it just provided... A lot of quality attacking opportunities from Super Rugby teams are coming off first phase play from lineouts, and the Force were able to really disrupt that from the Reds on Friday night. So that was super impressive for them, and I highly rate Jeremy Thrush for his involvement within that. And I think that yellow card that Thrush ended up getting in the second half was very indicative of the game he was playing, where he he was obviously pushing um, Damon Murphy, the referee, as far as he could get with him, but he pushed it too far in that instance by taking out the number nine. He just said, you've been a nuisance at the ruck. Off you go. And it was sort of like, <laughs> you've been the nuisance for the last few rucks, which in, in some ways is a massive, massive compliment for the, his ability to be so uh, present at the breakdown. Yep. Yep. Uh, one quick thing I want to say in terms of talking points is um, I'm, I've said a lot of really positive things about the force, but I also want to put this point out there. I don't think two of Jordan Olofella's tries should have stood. <laughs> um, the very first one is undeniably a forward pass. Yeah. It comes off Miotti's arm and travels forward into Olofella's hand. And I don't understand how the referee and the ARs and the, the, um, the TMO saw something otherwise or the no, commentary that I've seen no, after the game. No, it's because he didn't actually play at the ball. I thought he... Yeah, I'm but joking, way, I'm, joking, you... I'm joking. I'm doing what oh I did last God. week and trying to throw a spanner in. Oh, my no, no, God. I you agree. are the worst. I was I like, mate, how do I tell what, what are you, you saying? <laughs> what are you on? Um, yeah, no, I agree. Oh, it my does God. Touch, okay, it I need touches, to focus. <laughs> it touches Mayotti's hand and, and then part, continues on into Olafella's hands, which causes yep. the break. So, yep. interesting that all three or four referees on the field 
didn't see that one. Yeah, or um, saw something but, different because they were watching the replay because they, they they did check it and they, they just saw something different. But they never they never addressed that. Yeah, like that was, that was never looked at as okay, that's back or that didn't touch the player. It was kind of like, yep, okay, on to the next thing, onto the grounding, fine, let's award it. So yeah, well, another one of Oluwafella's tries where he gets held up, um, well, it doesn't get held up, but there's a mass of players under him um, as he's going over the try line. Uh, Damon Murphy gets to, he, he swings around, dives down to the ground to try and see where the ball is. And he arrives there maybe between half a second and a second after Oluwafella has hit the ground, right? Yeah. And that doesn't sound like much, but in the scheme of things, it, it is a lot. And he then makes the call immediately that it's a try. The thing is, we can see the exact same angle that he can see because of the placement of the camera. And at that angle, it looks as though there's a hand underneath the ball. Now, I don't mind the TMO process at all because the on-field decision was a try. There has to be uh, sufficient evidence to overturn it. There wasn't sufficient evidence to say that the ball hadn't got down, so therefore the try stands. Cool. Okay. I don't mind that. But the thing I do mind is the certainty by which Damon Murphy called it when he arrived there a bit late, and there were Reds players with their hands underneath the ball. Now, I'm not saying that a part of the ball didn't touch the ground. I'm not. It may well have been a try, but I'm just not sure if Murphy was right in awarding the try on the ground. Yeah. I, does, that, um, does that make sense? I, I recall what you're saying, but I, I thought from what I saw from watching the replays a few times, I was pretty confident in that he did initially get held up, but the momentum ended, ended up making him sort of face plant, but then the ball yeah, sort of slid yeah. with him and touched the ground. So but I, I thought you couldn't see it. That was my, that was my well, feeling I mean, at the time. As we're saying, as you were saying from the camera angle, like Damon Murphy is right there. And so it, he had no, obstruction to the grounding whereas we were obstructed by him um so yeah, i yeah. i was fairly by what yeah, I, I hear what you're saying i was i was fairly confident that that was a try i was yeah, fairly okay. confident. All right. I, I agree with All the right. first one not being a try but i yeah. i was pretty confident i mean like we're gonna if you're gonna get that pedantic i mean i know we're saying that he didn't ground it so it's not a try but i i think he did grant ground it with enough evidence to award the try, but we could be so pedantic in how we um, referee tries. And the fact that you've mm. put yourself in that position to score points and you've done 98% of the work, <laughs> unless you've clearly stuffed it up by knocking it on or, um, yeah. you know, taking it dead or whatever, benefit of the doubt, give them the points. Mate, you're just following up with my um, Friday Ivo touch footy rule is we love tries. So if there's ever a doubt as to whether there was a forward pass or something in the build up to a try, it's like, nah, we love tries. Game on, play on. And We've got no touchies, it's fine. We've got yeah, no ref, just play, it's Just fine. play the try. <laughs> exactly. So maybe that's the Damon Murphy rule is we love tries and he just went for it. Um, either way, it was a very exciting game. And I mean, you've got to also credit Paisami and Tupo for the brilliance for their tries. Like the, the power and the aggression that both Paisami and Tupo show to score their individual tries was absolutely fantastic. I mean, Tupo just... has no right to score that. No right. Like that is just it bounces off like three good ability. players. I, I as I was watching the game, my wife was sitting next to me, and I just turned to her and said, "Did you see that?" And she, she didn't, so she watched the replay. And then I said, "That is why he is so good. Like you could yep. have three of the world's best props in that position, and they wouldn't score that try. He had no right to get over five defenders and score. He's just so good. Yep. I just I just love watching him play. He's getting better and better every week." 
a hundred percent agree. And Paisami's strength to get through those tackles. Um, the force players were trying to drift really fast to cover the fact that they were back down because Kurunjani was in a bin. And to uh, Paisami just straightens and bursts through a couple of somewhat weak tackles and is able to power over and reach out for the try. Just shows the strength that he has taking the ball into contact. Uh, I absolutely love it. He seems to be a little bit more of a... Um, a more nuanced Izzy Parisi. I think there's a lot of similarities in their game. I think uh, what Paisami has developed over the last 12 months is more of a ball playing and kicking role, whereas Parisi doesn't have that yet. Yep. But I just, but for both of them, I love the explosiveness and contact that, that they both have. The thing that excites me, and I don't want to talk all about the Waratahs though, but if you look at Parisi, he is Hunter Paisami <laughs> at the beginning of last year. Really, if you look at it. Yeah, Hunter Paisami has got yep. two years of yep. Super Rugby you under his belt. Uh, Parisi's had three games for the Tars, four games now. So that's exciting. Yep. Um, now, before we yeah, move definitely. on to, I guess, the talk around game management in the last sort of few minutes of mm. this game, I just want to ask you, Ando, from this game, what do you think was the biggest um, uh, uh, reason for the outcome? Now, was it the fact... Was it the forces discipline or the Reds' ability to score points? Where where do you see the it come down to? I'm actually going to say an option that you didn't raise there because oh, I've been thinking about this one. beforehand. Yeah, I actually think it was the um, back row and second row selections for the Reds. I think having Angus Scott Young, Liam Wright, Fraser McWright and Harry Wilson all on at the same time within a starting team is a mistake. Angus Scott Young, for my mind, is six or on the bench. Um, I don't think he's a starting lock when you have someone with the quality of Seru Uru on the bench. And that's not even saying whatever has happened to Angus Blythe and why he can't even crack the match day 23 at the moment. Um, I think that with Wright, Scott Young and um, McWright, you don't have that power in the middle of the pack that you need that someone like Uru can bring. And I just am not confident that it was the right decision. I mean, earlier... Actually, within it was in within last season's um, Super Rugby, we saw that Angus Scott Young can fill a role at lock, but he's better as either that um, that utility forward off the bench or at six. I'm not sure he's a starting lock in my mind, and I think that that meant that they didn't have the ability to punch through the center of the field as much and give their backs a bit more front football to stop that rush defense that you mentioned before. And I also think it led to a lack of efficiency at the line out, like I mentioned earlier. Okay, interesting. So you're thinking mm. it's selection decisions by the Reds that ended up resulting yep. in them losing this game? I would say... Uh, yeah, that's... Hang on, just one quick thing and then I'll show, throw back to you. But that's not to take away from the force. I want to credit the force for this win, but I do think there was a wrong selection decision that fed into the Reds' loss. Now, I think one big decision or one aspect of the Reds' game, uh, West, sorry, the Western Force game in this game was their discipline. So they had three yellow cards. They had two yellow cards, which were pretty out and out. Well, two of the yellow cards that they scored, the Reds, they copped, the Reds ended up scoring three tries in in that time. So when you're coming up against a team like the Reds, who are so skillful and able to score tries so quickly, you can't be at a disadvantage. So the two tries that they, the two yellow cards that they got, particularly to Tony Pulu and Tavita Kuandrani, were really, really silly um, 
cards to cop. I mean, Tevita Kumandrani was just a tackle that didn't need to happen. And Tony Pulu was just a complete brain fart in terms of knowing that they were under defensive pressure. There had been warnings and yet he clearly went off his feet, got up and then played the ball again. So um, you can't give a team like the Reds a a man advantage like that and expect to still come away with the victory. So I, I do, I do think that they did do well to get the victory in the end. And that goes to show that, um, they have come a long way in the last few weeks. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they've stuck with that back line and they're now starting to get really good cohesion from um, Kubeli, Miotti and the outside backs. I was really impressed with all of the back lines, Ola Fella um, and Tony Pulu as well, but it could have really cost them dearly if they weren't able to uh, get back in the game when uh, Kahui came on and scored that, set up that brilliant try to Ola Fella at the very end there. Yep. Yep. Okay. I, I hear that. Now, if we go to the last sort of few minutes of the game, uh, where the really sort of championship minutes of this game really were the Take last. Take the points. <laughs> so the question is, <laughs> is it poor game management by the Reds? If so, where does that responsibility lie? Yes, Liam Wright. Okay. Now, I guess what I want to unpack a little bit is, and Liam is a great friend of the pod. He's been on twice yeah, now. Yeah, 100%. Great player. Awesome, awesome dude. No disrespect to him at all. Are we blaming Liam Wright in this instance for that decision? Uh, do we think if James O'Connor was captain, there would have been a different decision made? Why uh, do look- we, if we unpack it a little bit further, why do you think he wanted to take the scrums yeah. three times in a row? Yeah, look, there's... There's a fair bit to think about through this, isn't there? Because it, it is it is somewhat simple. And I mean, I was yelling it at the time, take the points, take the points. Why didn't you go for it? Um, but I mean, oh, what am I trying to say? Okay. I, th- I was wondering if they were so supremely confident in their ability and their role as a team and their attacking structures that they were confident that they would win the scrum and therefore be able to unleash a backline move and score the try to win the game and not then risk it in extra time. So I was just wondering whether or not it was a confidence thing. They have been riding really high the last oh, six weeks. And so I thought that it could be down to that. To discuss whether or not it would have been different if James O'Connor was captain, I think I think yes. I think in the previous weeks, particularly in a lot of the tight games against the Brumbies, he's proven that he's willing to take points late in the game and then trust his team to back up and follow it up with further points to win the match. So I think if it had been purely a James O'Connor decision, then yeah, he would have taken the points, but also he's been asked about his thought process about what he's thinking when he goes to take points over the, um, over the like scrum or line out option. And he said, Oh, I don't really have a thought process. It's more about just trying to read the feel of the game. Make a cut. Feeling, and I want, yeah. Yeah, it's a gut feeling. And I wonder if, because I was I was feeling that too at the time. Like I wanted them to take the points, but I understood why they were going for the um understood why they were going for the, the now the reason um, like scrum. It's it's a very, very unique situation and what happened here. So the first scrum that they get, they've actually got they've st- the Western Force still have a yellow card. So Jeremy Thrush is still off the field. So they set the scrum, it goes down, they have a reset. Now in the time that the reset happens the yellow card timer goes off, Thrush comes back on. So they're now no longer at a one-man advantage. They're back at full contingency. They take the scrum and I think from the the second scrum, there's a penalty that comes from it 
and the ball goes out a few phases and then comes back. Now they have the third chance to take the points, knowing that first of all, they tried to scrum it with a one-man advantage, didn't get anything from it, then had another go at it and still didn't get anything from it. There's now a minute or less on the clock um, and you still choose to take the scrum penalty, mm. which then ends mm. up being overturned and and the rest is history. The force going to win it. Now, interesting questions. Would James of Connor have made that same decision? I'm not too sure. If you go back and listen to the post-match conf- press conference with Liam Wright and um, Brad Thorne, one of the, com- one of the uh, press or start journos in the conference asked Liam Wright around those last few minutes. And I was quite surprised by his reaction. He said, I need to go back and look at my leadership style. I need to go back and reanalyze um, the decisions that I made in those last few minutes as the captain. So okay. he was taking a lot of responsibility there for taking the scrum. Now, I, I don't, I don't want to put any sort of anything out there saying that James O'Connor was up there saying, let's take the points and let's get down there and have another crack at it. And Liam's like, no, let's, let's go for the scrum. I don't know what's happened, but it was a really... The other the other side thinking about this as well, and I've been talking to a few people about this, is not that the Reds were arrogant in their approach to this area, but it didn't mean much to them if they did lose this game. Yeah, so that's I true. was wondering. I was wondering if, in some ways, they just thought, well, if the Force win, it's great for them. They get in the finals. Then we don't yeah. have to worry about playing the Rebels. Mm. Thoughts around that sort of finals calculations were going on in my head as well going, is that the reason that they've done this and they've thrown this? They didn't seem that upset afterwards either. They didn't. Well, I mean, they knew that they were finishing top of the table and but had they had final anyway. But they would have been, if they had won this, they would have been a championship side in terms of the first super rugby team in Australian history to go undefeated in a season. Yeah, true. So, so close. But at the same mm. time, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. So either way, I mean, like, whilst I do think Liam Wright takes responsibility, it's not as though I'm crapping on him for his decision. I think it was the wrong decision. But then again, I'm not there having played uh, 80 minutes of a game, uh, having to make a decision with the physicality of that match uh, all over my body and then still needing to think clearly too. Um, It's it's a challenging situation, but I still think they should have taken a point and then trusted their experience to get them through the uh, extra time. Now, we will finish this year and move on to the, Rebel, the Rebels-Waratahs game, but I just want to ask one quick question of you, Ando, and that mm-hmm. is, do you think Damon Murphy had his whistle in his mouth to blow a penalty to the Reds when the when this ball came out of the back of that scrum? Uh, I honestly didn't really pay attention to that. Did he? Did he? I put it up on Twitter. Whistlegate yeah, 2.0. But, Come on. But you, <laughs> yeah, but you put it up on Twitter, so it doesn't <laughs> pop up as a thing for me. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure, mate. Why don't you speak to it? You've obviously got opinions on it. Um, yeah. So if you look at the scrum, the Reds absolutely demolished the Western force and it went down and then it went up on the right-hand side and they were wheeled and it was just an absolute mess. And Damon Murphy put his whistle to his mouth and was about to blow it when Kubeli pulled, uh, no, sorry, Ian Pryor pulled the, the ball out and, and passed it to Miotti who kicked it out. Now, I don't know if, if the ball hadn't come out, he would have blown a penalty to the Reds, but very, very similar situations what happened last week. And I guess there hasn't been as much of a fallout from it, from the Brumbies situation. So just wanted to get your <laughs> thoughts around it. Anyway. Maybe. Yep. Sorry, I can't help. Okay. All good. All good. I mean, there's not been that much chat around it from fans either. I think most Reds fans have been quite humble about this 
um, this defeat and were very happy for the force. So that, that was great to see in of itself. Uh, yeah. If we move to the second game of the night, the Waratahs hosted the Rebels at Bankwest Stadium in Parramatta for the Waratahs' last home game of Super Rugby AU. Final score was 36-25 um, to, to the Melbourne Rebels. And it was a bit of a weird game. A lot of, uh, a lot of disciplinary issues from both sides. Uh, two red cards issued to the Rebels, two yellow cards as well. But if we look at some of the match stats and statistics, um, three tries scored by the Waratahs, four tries scored by the Rebels, two conversions by the Tars, two by the Rebels, two penalty goals to four to the Rebels. Um, Waratahs had an 80% kick percentage. The Rebels only had 75. Uh, Waratahs made 487 metres with ball in hand. The Rebels only made 189. Now that is a massive statistic right there. Uh, Possession was 60% to 40%, uh, sorry, 60% to the Waratahs, 40% to the Rebels. The Waratahs made 63% territory to the Rebels, 37%, yet still didn't, weren't able to score enough points to win the game. Waratahs made 13 clean breaks. The Rebels made three. The Waratahs beat 30 defenders. The Rebels beat 12. The Waratahs made 13 offloads. The Rebels made five. If we look at the set piece, so the Waratahs won seven of nine scrums. The Rebels won two of their, all two of their scrums. Um, the Waratahs won 12 of their 14 lineouts. The Rebels won 13 of their 14. The Waratahs uh, conceded 15 penalties and the Rebels conceded 11. So a lot to talk about in this game, Ando. Uh, statistics <laughs> don't really this is what we can go to say is the statistics don't show what the outcome of this game was and yep. the dominance that the rebels showed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's the thing like that's the thing that shows the difference between the two sides the, the rebels were actually a lot more clinical than the waratahs were and you can see that from the fact that they scored 36 points with only 40 percent of the uh 30 yeah 40 percent possession 37 percent territory uh i mean look the game was just off to a horrific start with that fantastic try to Stacey Illy in the first minute of the game. That Frank Lamani step of Carlo Tizano was filthy off the kickoff return. But yeah, then but he got he through just... that massive hole. How was no, that no. there? So, so he got through that hole because um, Michael Wells was in the line as the Waratahs were coming up. And then, so Lamani's tracking like onto his left, and then yeah. he steps off, does a filthy step off his left, left wrong foots um, to Zano, but kind of like runs through where Michael Wells is. Um, so it's not a full shepherd, but it's using the space that his own player is occupying whilst he's brushing off a weak shoulder from Tizano, who couldn't match the speed of the change of direction. Um, it was it was a combination of poor defense and fantastic footwork from Lamani. And then he just had the pace to go the majority of the field, kick it through. Um, and then that cross field kick was pinpoint perfect from Tuamua or Tauamua. And it was, it was awesome. It was a really, really perfectly executed try that just obviously would have had Dave Vessels in the coaching box, just like hugging himself going, yes, we were finally clinical. We can um, score so tries. You're all tries and like, and not have it off kind of forward dominated play, but actually have it from a quality backs breakout and then pinpoint. Oh, it was just, it was a really, really good try. Yeah, it was. When I, when I watched it happen, I was like, oh, that sucks. But damn, that's good. Like I was just excited for it as well. Well, the fact that they made the break, kicked the ball through and then got the possession back as well. 
Very, yeah. very good. Now, I guess the question that I need to ask you, Ando, mm-hmm. how did the Waratahs manage to lose this game with the Rebels having two yellow cards and two red cards? So effectively, they must have played bad. about 55, between 55 and 60 minutes with an <laughs> extra player, and yet they still lost. Oh, uh, look, okay. The Pony Farmer Silly card comes in the 77th minute. So he's only off the field for three minutes. So, like, uh, by that time, the game was lost anyway. So it's not a huge difference there. Um, the Izzy Nicerani card, because of the red card rulings that have been in place for 2020 and 21, he got replaced after 20 minutes. But you're right, with that level of um, disadvantage that the Rebels had, the Warriors really should have put this game away. That's yeah, 40 yeah, minutes. Yeah. So they played so a whole half with an extra player. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what um, you're pointing to here is just the lack of incisiveness, particularly from our forwards. I am really, really unimpressed by our forward pack this year. There have been some good moments, like Harry Johnson-Holmes has had some good games. Um, Angus Bell has had some really good moments as well. Dave Parecki, when he's not dropping a ball over the line or missing line-out throws, has had some really strong and composed moments too. But our second row combinations have just been relatively poor or learning on a job throughout the season. And then our back row has been smashed by injury and doesn't really have the experience or the composure required at this level too. So it's just been really, really difficult. And I just don't think we have the quality and the experience up front to um, be able to put pressure on teams, even when they're a man down. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just don't know what to say next. I'm just. I so love that shocked. sigh. That was so great. <laughs> oh, I mean, I was watching. I was at a, a family function when this game was being played, so I was only able to sort of check in on my phone every ten, fifteen minutes, um, and it wasn't painting a good picture from what I was watching of those small, those small minutes. I saw the red cards, Izzy Nicerani. I saw that we were able to get up. 1821 or get close 1821 at halftime but we didn't from what i could feel from the game we didn't really deserve to be that close by that yep. by that point i didn't feel like we were ever um taking the game by the scruff of the neck and controlling it we kind of seemed to be reacting to the fact that the rebels were scoring points and i guess this is what we need to do to catch up but yep. they all kind of felt a bit lost this game and kind of yep. running around like headless chooks I was hoping coming into this game that the Waratahs were really going to build on the momentum that they had set from the last few weeks. And I don't want to say that they didn't do that in this game, but they were, they're coming off a season where they haven't won one single game. And so I thought that they would really be up and fighting for their last home game to really put in a dominant performance to prove to the fans and um, the coaches and the board and everyone that they do have the ability to do this and to, to for match up at this level. And they didn't put that performance in for me this week. And I was just really disappointed by that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, I guess I just wasn't overly surprised. I think all hope has been snuffed out of me um, over the course of the season. Oh, not all. There is there is some skerrick of hope there. 
But the truth is, I just wasn't surprised by much that was happening. I mean, if I was to try and find some positive points from the Waratahs performances, that when Nicerani was in the bin, they did outscore the Rebels 12 points to six. So the Rebels got two um, penalties and we scored two tries and converted one of them during that time. Uh, so that's something. I also thought Ben Donaldson has been really good the last two weeks. Yeah. And he's he's not a good find because he was in a team last year, but it's great that he's been able to come back from injury and be so strong. And I think also Izzy Parisi has been a bit of a revelation in his combination I called with it. Lalakai Fakedi. Yeah, you did. I you told did you at the beginning going of the into season. the season, I said, he's going to be great. He's going to be a young, similar to a young Curtly Bill to be able to break through the centers and just have that um, line busting ability. And that's what we've seen. Yeah, and that's good that's up. a good call. I mean, I didn't know him prior to, to be honest. I didn't I didn't really remember him from his Queensland Red days. Um, but he he's been fantastic. So I'm there are some things I'm looking forward to if we can actually get some experienced players in. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the locker room because there are a couple of questions that relate to that. But I think the Rebels were just really benefiting from the return of some of their um, more experienced players. So you had uh, Ross Haylett-Petty in a second row that was back. You have Matt Gibbon, who's back as well. Cameron Orr. Cameron Orr yep. too. Um, Campbell Magne had his second or third game back from injury. Um, oh, who's the redhead? Uh, flanker, um, 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 uh, Brad Wilkin, um, yeah, Wilkin, Wilkin's back as well. So, there's just a bunch of players that they've had return from injury, and I think that made a massive amount of difference for them. So, yeah, well done. And, and do them. you think, uh, like it, it, it seems like the Rebels kind of had a weight off their shoulders in some way, like it kind of felt like the last few weeks that they had the pressure of making the finals and needing to make the finals to to sort of claw in a good year, uh, stifle their ability to score points or just stifle the pl- their p- playing ability or their natural instincts. They kind of seemed burdened by that in the last few weeks. Poor decision-making, losing games by a few points. And this week, the fact that going into this game, they knew that they hadn't made the finals. They kind of just came out and attacked from everywhere. And we haven't seen that this year. So mm. it was Good to see the fact that they were able to score points and not, as you said previously, just off set piece. They were scoring points through their their backs and um, through broken plays. So, yeah, interesting to see there that the um, the West the Rebels in this game just kind of threw caution to the wind and just did what they needed to do and, and looked like a fairly confident team who were able to control the game for most for a long periods of time. Yeah, and I think that kind of takes us to the question of um, Dave Vessels. And there's been a lot of chat last week around whether or not Vessels should be continuing with the Rebels uh, even at the end of this Super AU season, which is now over for them, whether he should take them through the Trans-Tasman or finish at the end of the Trans-Tasman or whether he should continue in a job. So Tim Horan, after the match last week, actually said that Vessels, in his opinion, was a dead man walking and that they should realistically look at getting rid of him prior to the Trans-Tasman to give a new coach time to bet in before the 2022 season. And there was a pretty fiery encounter between um, Vessels and Christy Doran. And who was the other writer? Tom uh, Deason, other I think. I think it was Maybe Tom, Tom Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so... We don't know. That, we're, that, just, we're just going on voices. Yeah. I mean, he said Christy at one point, so that yeah. was helpful to identify the journal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was... 
In, uh, an interesting view. I think Vessels in, is feeling a lot of pressure, but also at the same time, Doran's questions were fairly impertinent and asking the captain of the team whether or not the coach still has the support of the players uh, was, in my mind, uh, unbecoming and inappropriate. Well, even, even though, yeah, even though Vessels had said a minute or two earlier that once the article that Christie wrote came out or um, the Sydney Morning Herald wrote, yeah. that Tamua came in, sat with him and closed the door and said, you know, we've got, you've got the full support of the playing group. We're behind you 100%. So the fact that yeah. he then went and asked Tamua in front of Vessels to say, let's prove what you're saying, it almost felt like a personal attack to saying, I don't trust you as, yeah. as a coach. I don't trust you as, as, a, as whatever you're saying. Let's see if you're right. I mean, what yeah. can Tamua say in that instance? Yeah, no, I, I don't think uh, I don't think Dave's got much left. Probably last time I sit next to him in a press conference, like you can't say that. Yeah, it's just dumb. <laughs> it's just it was a stupid question, and um, it actually the, the good thing that came out of it and the conversation that Vessels had with the Stan Sport commentary team after the match was actually providing a bit of context surrounding the challenges that the Rebels have been facing in terms of facilities, in terms of finances that are available to the team, and what they're having to do to simply do the small things that other teams take for granted. So the ability to have two training sessions on one day is something that the force, uh, something that the Rebels can't do, or they need to work really hard in terms of facilities and allocations to be able to do so and some people might read that as excuse making and whinging about what's been handed to him and uh, what he's been able to get the team to perform but in my mind I actually just see it as contextual it provides reasons for some of the challenges that we see the rebels facing and I was somewhat appreciative of the fact that there was a bit of broader context being brought into that discussion yeah, I don't look I don't know if I necessarily agree with that I do I guess I fall into the basket of seeing that as a bit of a cop-out or a bit of a you would you've hated with vessels oh for I'm not like I'm not months. saying anything personal against the guy and I don't I agree with what you were saying previously I think um <laughs> Chrissy Dorn overstepped the mark here and it became quite personal of an attack in this press conference and I felt bad for vessels watching it but at the same time you're the coach so it's kind of your way or the highway and you need to step up for what you think's right you should be going to the board and saying the reason we're not performing is because we don't have our own venue someone sort that out i don't care who it is someone do it we need to train we need to do a field um, training in the morning and then we'll do gym in the afternoon we're not driving half an hour out to um the university that they're based at. He just, someone needs to get it done and he needs to push for that. Um, maybe that's not what he's doing, but the fact that he comes now and says, well, this is the reason because we've got, you know, we haven't got the resources, da, 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 da. It's, it's a bit too late for that. That's something that you should have f- um, f- sorted out in preseason. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I hear that. I think I'm just more of a bleeding heart liberal. I'm an empath, you know, oh, I feel mate, come on. I know, I know. But if if we shift then into what happens next for Vessels and the Rebels, I don't think, if we look at the Waratahs as an example, I don't think getting rid of, rid of Vessels now is going to have any benefit for Trans-Tasman. I yeah, don't agreed. think that they have a coach willing to step into the role as head coach to see them through this next competition. I don't think that they're going to necessarily grow as a team if they don't have Vessels there. Um, one of the points Vessels did make, and I do I agree with that, is that they've had a lot of their top players out injured this season, very similar to the Waratahs, but they've managed their roster in a way that the players that they've got out injured are, you know, 20, 25 cap wallabies. They're not 
two cat wallabies, um, five cat waratahs players who just happen to be injured <laughs> as well. So yeah. um, I think it probably does affect them a lot more having those players not playing. We we struggled as the waratahs. We struggled most not having Jake Gordon. That was the one player we couldn't hope to lose. Yeah. They yeah. couldn't they couldn't um, bear to lose five or six players, and they've lost most of them. So I do agree with that point, and I I just don't see them being able to build on anything moving into the Trans Tasman if they uproot now and get rid of vessels and put someone else in an in interim. I think yep. you just need to pull the band-aid off at the end of that Trans-Tasman and say, look, we gave you that time. You also didn't improve on it, if that's the case. Maybe they come through and they do quite well and get two or three victories in Trans-Tasman. I still don't think it'll be enough for them to, to, to re-sign Vessels for another year or two, um, but at least they won't have disrupted the preparation going into the next competition. Yep, agreed. Um, great. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to chat around this? Um I well, guess for both teams moving they, forward into yeah, Trans Tasman, okay. then I like just just thinking in terms of that, I I could very easily see the Waratahs getting spanked in every single one of their upcoming games. Um, I don't think they're going to have an easier against any of the teams. Um, I also think that I think the Rebels have the capacity to cause a couple of upsets. Um, I think they might be able to get one or two wins out of the five. Yeah. Um, but Who I don't see them though? getting any more than two. Oh, yeah, I don't know. The Blues have been on a bit of a downward trend the last few hurricanes, weeks. Hurricanes, maybe? Um, yeah, Hurricanes would probably be the most likely. You wouldn't think Satyrs. You wouldn't think Chiefs because they're on the up having one. You wouldn't think the, the Landers. Games. Yeah, it must be Canes. Canes. Um, and potentially Blues away. If they're playing Blues away, I need to check out um, yep. the fixtures. But yeah, so... That's that'll be a tough one, and I just don't see the Tars winning a game. Um, it could be a good opportunity for them to continue to gain, develop more experience within the combinations, pick and stick. Don't just rotate the roster for the sake of it. Um, but I really worry about our forward pack, and particularly the locks being able to uh, compete. The biggest thing I'm concerned about with the Waratahs and particularly this Trans Tasman competition is that a lot of our players now as we currently sit, are off contract at the end of the year and haven't committed to the Waratahs. So if they're going to go out and play New Zealand teams and get absolutely spanked, risk getting injured, um, probably not going to learn too much, probably just get outplayed by their opposite numbers, what's going to make them want to re-sign with the Waratahs or Australian rugby? It's going to be demoralizing for these players. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these younger guys like Tizano... um, look elsewhere and go somewhere else. And, and Angus Bell, there was talks that he was not wanting to commit to the Waratahs at the, the current time either. If they're going to be trying their hardest and getting absolutely belted by New Zealand competition and then not developing as players, but also potentially getting injured, um, not getting, not seeing anywhere else to go, it's not going to make you want to re-sign and stay in that environment. If anything, it's probably going to make you want to get out as soon as possible. So that's what I'm really worried about is that after this Trans-Tasman competition, again, we'll be sitting 5-0 and we'll have more injuries and we'll have a playing group that's probably even more divided than they currently sit. It's a really, really dark hole that the Waratahs find themselves in and I don't see there being uh, a rope to pull us out of just yet. Yep. Yep. I think it's bleak looking forward. And I'm not too sure what we're going to do about that, but you've highlighted some really significant problems that the Waratahs are facing. Well, I think we've spoken enough around that. Did you have any honourable mentions that you wanted to mention for this game? Um, I th- yeah, look, 
if I just want to pick someone from the Tars, it's got to be in my mind Izzy Parisi. He actually no, no one needs to also had a pretty decent game too. Um, but yeah, for my mind, it's Izzy Parisi. He just has this ability to create something out of somewhat nothing, and he gives his all every single week that he's playing and not suspended on the bench. So credit to him for that. Yeah, and I think with Parisi, he seems very much like, in some ways, like James O'Connor in that he has gone away, he's done his time, he's come back, he's now matured and realized that he wants to play rugby. This is where he actually wants to be positioned now. And he's got a much more level-headed approach to his game. And he's just starting to appreciate that rugby is a little bit more complex than, say, league or um, AFL, I guess, or what other options he's got as a professional um, athlete at the moment. And he's approaching the game from a very good mindset. And I, we spoke to him previously after the game. We were very impressed with what he had to say. I was really impressed listening to his post-match interview with Ros Kelly this week. I just think he's, he's good. He's good for Australian rugby at the moment. Um, to have a player of his potential back in the Waratahs, but also in Australian rugby, also being able to lead some of the younger guys around as well. I'm just, I really hope that he can be signed on for another year or two with the Waratahs and really they can start mm-hmm. to create yep. something around him. Agreed. Agreed. Did you have an honorable mention outside of Parisi? Um, I'm going to go with Frank Lamani again. I just think yeah, cool. for the fact that the guy is a, is a nine, he's an international capped scrum half, yet he's playing on the wing. He's just he's just doing so well. Um, yep. It's an interesting conundrum that's come this this year. the The idea of playing a scrum half on the wing. There's a few teams doing it now. Um, it's worked off worked out well for the Rebels. And um, yeah, I just I love watching him play. And the fact that every time he touches the ball, he has the ability to break the line is just really exciting. He's yep. different to what Corabetti brings or Dalgunu. Yep. Oh, as a quick note about um, wingers, we didn't mention it in the news, but Mac Hansen is going overseas to Connacht at the end of the season, so he'll be leaving yes. the Brumbies. Interesting um, so that I one, isn't I'd it? Just quickly mention that. Isn't yeah, that, that, yeah. Is that an interesting call? Yeah. I thought he would have stayed, to be honest. Um, he's I wonder if, a good utility back three player. I wonder if he was pushed or just not given the option. I mean, he's kind of their reserve back three at the moment. Um so, yeah, with Banks and Muirhead and Wright, he's not going to be getting into the starting team anytime soon. Yeah. But he hasn't been there for that long. You would have thought he'd hang around and maybe push for one more season before going overseas. But yeah, who knows? Rugby players' careers are short, so good luck to him. Hope it goes well. The money when you can. All right, yep. let's move into the locker room. All right, let's go. All right, we're hitting up the locker room now where we answer your listener questions. So thank you to our supporters and friends and followers who have replied. Let's start with Jung Ma or Young Ma, who asks, have Tars interim coaches done well enough to be considered to take reins full time? And then question two, should the Tars 2022 go Western Force style and bring on three or four retired internationals to steady the ship? Uh, what do you think in terms of the coaching setup? Have they done enough Uh to continue on in 2022? Look, I think they've done, uh, they've shown improvement. The Waratahs have shown improvement in the last three or four weeks since Penny was gone. Um, And that was something we hadn't seen earlier in the year. So uh, it's good that the team has, has improved, but I don't know if they've done enough to say they're worthy of being head coach. And I don't know who would be head coach. It's an interesting dynamic with having two players there because um, Jason Gilmore, I feel like is more of the coach coach at the moment, but Chris Whitaker is doing all of the media and the interviews and, 
and uh, the press conferences and the post-match and stuff. So mm. I don't know what's actually happening there, but um, and I mean the players seem to be happy with both of those guys. But I don't I don't see them having two head coaches next year. But I don't know yep. who they'd pick, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and you would also expect the other one to not be able to stay at the club, too. Uh, I just wonder if you pick, say, Gilmore over Whitaker, whether Whitaker leaves or for, Why, vice versa. I mean, well, one was attack coach and one was defense coach previously under. under yeah, yeah, Bob, yeah. But so that's, would... that's, those are equal. Those are equal positions as opposed to now having shared the top job and then one of them gets promoted above well, the I, other. It could, it could I mean, cause an issue. If, if we're going for one of them, I would say Jason Gilmore takes head coach. Yeah, I don't think Chris yeah. Whitaker wants to take a head coach role at the moment. I think he'd probably be happy to stay as, and I don't know actually if he's attack or defense coach at the moment, um, but yeah. I think he'd be happy to stay in that position. Yeah, and you know what? If that was the situation, great. That'd be cool. But if they're yep. both going for it and one of them gets picked over the other, that could lead yep. to some yep. tensions. Oh, for sure. Um, so should the Tars 2022 go Western Force style and bring on three or four retired internationals to steady the ship? I'm going to say no, maybe maybe one. But even then, I'd prefer them to spend the money that they would be spending on a player of that kind of caliber of a Rob Carney style. Um, I'd prefer them to spend it on a player such as like a Will Skelton, try and entice him to come home. Well, um, um, just in that in that um, argument that you just said, I don't think Rob Carney's come down here f- on a lot of money. True, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah I wonder so- how much he's actually on. So either way, I think that um, if they can get a couple of players like your Ned Hannigan's returning players with super well, he's, rugby he's experience, back. I know, yeah. I know, I know, that's what I mean. But like more of that, um, and then I think that that's a pathway they should go down. Maybe one or two really experienced players, but then look at those kind of mid-range super rugby players who are going to just be able to provide a bit of experience, a bit of stability, and a bit of maturity to this young team. And they may not be a starting player every single week, but being on a bench and just bringing on an experience later in the matches could also be beneficial. I'd love one or two players um, of international retired experience who's probably not going to come down and play a, a boatload of minutes, but might come on, as you said, and do 20 minutes in the, in the last half, yep. but maybe come on as a inspirational leader or um, just experience to steady the ship. Now I would love to see them pick a, a forward and a back. I would yep. pick, and I've said it before on the podcast, bring back Dave Dennis. He can play mm, six. He can play that, four. Yeah. Um, he's already playing over in America. Obviously, he's not playing top-level super rugby at the moment, but he would be a great inspirational leader to bring back, particularly in that locking um, department where we've got some really good young guys coming through, but realistically, they're cult level at the moment. Yep. They've yep. basically right out of school. Someone of his experience, I mean, we do have Ned Hagen coming back as well, but I just I would love to see Dave Dennis back because he's just He's one of my favorites. Um, and if we were to look at a back, uh, throw out a name, Samu Karevi, someone like Samu oh, Karevi yeah. would be great to That'd see, particularly in the wider channels. Like if we've got, if we're going to have Jake Gordon at nine, um, Harrison, Harrison at 10, or yeah. both of those guys sort of interchanging at 10, Parisi at 12, and Karevi at 13. Oof. 
That'd be incredible. How good would that the be? offloads. How many offloads would you get a match? That'd be incredible. How good would that be? Uh, but anyway. either way, yeah. Okay. I think we've answered that question. Let's move on to Sheepy. I know people have been asking for less Waratahs talk, but what's the Waratahs question you most want someone to ask? And what is your response to that question? Uh, Mitch, we'll start off with you. What's the Waratahs question you most want someone to ask? I think the question I want to be asked is, is this the outcome of... Is this is the res- the outcome of this Super Rugby AU season what the Waratahs deserved? And yes. my answer <laughs> is to the players, no. I don't think we can blame the players, but to the no, board, no, no, no. yes. Yeah. You mm. absolutely butchered this season. You put us in this situation. You let all of the players go, chose to recruit no one, and have now sacked the coach halfway through the season and yet somehow ex- expected the same group of players that were there previously to all of a sudden perform better and to start winning games. It just doesn't make sense. And the fact that they've come out and said that we want to actually spend money next year and sign players. Well, that's great, but do it now. Why can't we bring players in? The Western force have been bringing players in all the way through this super rugby AU. Oluofela signed what week four of the competition, week three or week four of the competition and ended up, setting up three tries to get them into the first final come the last round of the comp. So why could we not have spent money halfway through the season when the, when we could see that we were on this downward trajectory, we were, we had lost our captain. We had injuries everywhere. We didn't have anyone to steer the ship, bring in someone who was going to, was willing to come back from Japan on a little bit of money, even on a short-term contract. It just doesn't make sense. And that's my, my question and my answer. <laughs> cool i like it i like it a lot um for me i would be saying my i don't have an answer to this question but i still want it to be asked my question is uh what happened in those new south wales rugby board meetings that's what i want to know i would love to have been a final wall in those to hear what was being said as they were discussing the failures or the sacking, sorry of uh rob penny and you know what the saddest thing about that is and i think is probably the outcome a lot of back taps, a lot of, a lot of pump ups, and yeah, we made the right decision. How good are we? Yep. I think yep. that that's where New South Wales or the Waratahs rugby sits at the moment. The board is just so disillusioned and has no real um, knowledge or understanding of the game at the base level that yep. they're happy to make these decisions, thinking they're the right ones. Um, okay, let's move on to our next question uh, from Old Glory and Sydney Rugby Fan. Uh, they ask the Rebels, what next? For that point, I think we've already spoken about it for them, particularly around the Dave Vessel side of things. So let's not touch on that. Well, let's Waratahs- just quickly say, just keep, I, I would say keep Vessels for Trans-Tasman, then start looking for a new coach after, after the year's over. Um, yep. And then try and build some cohesion going into the later half of this comp- of this season. So cool. you're not playing finals footy now. You've got your your better players back. Let's put some experience into it. Let's let them train together for a few weeks and really give Trans Tasman a crack. See if at that point they can put something together. And then I guess you're at sort of at the moment now you're at base level. So you know what you've got then you can start saying, okay, this didn't work in the last half of Trans-Tasman. Let's recruit in ABCD areas in the off-season. <laughs> yeah, okay. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, the Waratahs, are they improving every week? 
Yeah, I don't think this week's match was an improvement. I think the previous couple of games had definitely been an improvement. But the match against the Rebels was, in my mind, a bit of a step backwards, just in terms of defensive integrity, particularly. Um, Super Rugby Trans Tasman, what can we expect from the Aussie teams? Mitch, do you want to quickly speak to that? Look, I'm really on two minds. I'm not, I really don't know. I want to say that the, the Super Rugby Australian teams are going to be competitive, and I definitely think the Brumbies and the Reds will be. I think the Force will be a handful. Um, we were saying previously that they struggled to score points, but this week they actually scored a lot of points. So something sort of their backlines are now starting to click. So I think that they can be competitive against some New Zealand teams. And the game that New Zealand rugby is currently playing is different to what we're playing over here in, in Australia. There's different emphasis on the breakdown. There's different, um, different ways that we go about scoring points and attacking and those kinds of things. So I'm optimistic that we can be good and get a few upsets and definitely the reds and the brumbies I expect them to be competitive but on the other hand i mean new zealand is just always so good and we always pump ourselves up as australian rugby fans thinking this is the year we're going to be great we're going to be good and this year we have got the best build-up that we've ever had in the last few years because this we've had super rugby AU, we're now moving to trans tasman but i still think there's a very real possibility of all of our teams getting thumped Maybe not the Brumbies and the Reds getting thumped by a cricket score, but there probably is the possibility that they won't um, be in the top two or three team. We won't have an Australian team in the top two or three teams come the final. Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at the draw and there are some really mouthwatering clashes which are coming up. Uh, the Brumbies have a really hard one for playing the Crusaders away to start with. Uh, the Reds are away versus the Highlanders as well. I mean, particularly the coming home versus the Canes. Particularly coming off a loss to the Reds like two weeks before, that's going to be tough. <laughs> All right. Uh, last couple of questions. Uh, well, last question, actually, from Cameron Marling. Is the Red Surprise the loss the best thing that could have happened to them and Aussie Rugby? I'm sure Thorny will be putting a rocket up them at training and it might spur them on to win a title and then play better in the Trans-Tasman comp. Mitch? Uh, so I don't think it was in their plan to lose. I think it will highlight some areas they need to improve on, which is going to be good. I don't, I, but I also don't think that they are that affected by it. So um, I don't know if we could say it's going to be enough to actually propel them to play better. I think this Reds team is very determined to win Super Rugby AU this year. They've all been saying it all year in interviews and, and post-match and things that Brad Thorne's been very vocal in saying and, and drilling into them that we haven't won anything yet. We've not earned any praise until we hold that trophy up at the end of the year. All of the players seem to be reading from the same page of the same book. Um, yes, this was probably a bit of a hiccup on the on the path to that victory, but I don't necessarily think that it's it's sort of panic stations at all for the Reds. Um, I think they still played very well, and you know, a kick or two and they win that game. So, yep. um, very close. I, I still think they're they're the form team of Australian rugby at the moment. But yep. yes, it was good for Australian rugby. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And um, knowing what we've heard of Brad Thorne so far, there definitely will be a rocket sent up them. And I think there's going to be a lot of really constructive um, 
criticism and analysis of the game and decision points throughout it where they just made decisions that were wrong um, and that will only benefit them moving forward considering the youth that this team still has. I think we're done here, mate. Why don't we move straight through into the semi-final preview then? Uh, I, I will just quickly say thank you so much, everybody, to the questions. Keep them rolling in. We put them up on Facebook and Twitter the day of the pod, so thanks for keeping an eye out either on a Sunday or a Monday for that. Now, the semi-final preview, second V third. I think people are calling it the qualifying final is sometimes the language that's being used for this game. It's a bit of questioning around it. But either way, it's the Brumbies down in Canberra versus the Western Force. And this is going to be a massive, massive game. I think the expectation will be that the Brumbies come away with it. Uh, how do you see this game panning out, Mitch? I think it's going to be tight. I really do. I think this Western Force team have really gelled in the last few weeks and their, their backline yeah. particularly is showing that they've got the ability to score points. Um, and as we have been saying, their forwards have been great all year. And it was just the, the fact that the backs weren't quite clicking and they, as a team, they weren't working well. They were setting a good platform, but the backs were sort of letting them down this week though, both, te- both components of the forwards and the backs are working really well together. So I think they have the ability to go to Canberra and cause an upset. I think they really do. I think they do have that ability. They have the players and they have the um, the talent to do that. But at the same time, these this is the Brumbies we're talking about. This They have been the top team in Australian rugby for the last three or four years. And in some ways, they're kind of like the Crusaders of New Zealand in that they... They just always seem to be able to get out of jail at the end of games and to particularly last year, they came through a lot of um, close encounters and, and was able to get that victory. The Reds have been their bogey team this year. They have been able to beat them, but they've looked quite comfortable against everyone else. I think they're going to be very determined to win this, uh, to get into the final. So I'm putting my, I, I would love to see the Western Force win, but I really think that the Brumbies will win this. But I think it's going to be tight. I'm going to say Brumbies by five. Yeah, I'm going to say Brumbies by seven. Um, I think it's definitely going to be a close game with the combativeness of the force really sticking it to the um, sticking it to the Brumbies. I think the inclusion of big bodies like Jeremy Thrush and uh, Sidaleki Tamani are really good weapons to try and oppose the rolling mall of the driving mall of the Brumbies, which is one of their main weapons, as we all know. And I just think that that will be a really, really good arm wrestle to watch. I'm really keen to see this game. It may not be particularly high scoring, but it's definitely going to be a brutal encounter. And there's going to be a lot on the line for both teams because the force are going to be playing with the sense of passion that we, uh, I mean, we saw it in the game against the Reds. The crowd was fired up and into it, but at the same time, they can go up another level because this is going to be their first final series in how many years? I can't even remember the last time they made a final. Is it ever? This is the first time the Western Force have ever made a final. Well, okay, cool. So huge congratulations to them additionally. Uh, But I just don't think, much like the Rebels last year, who were able to scrape into the finals in the last game of the last uh, round and then lose to the... Uh, Reds. Was it the Reds yep. lost to the Reds away. I think we're going to see that from the force. They've just scraped through into the finals and good on them for getting there, but I don't think they've got enough to beat the Brumbies at home. Mm, interesting. But if they do, how good would that be? How good <laughs> would that? No, just for Australian rugby though. 
Yeah, it'd be a great storyline, wouldn't it? Yeah. Are such the, are the underdogs of Super Rugby AU in that they were not even in the competition two years ago, like uh, before yeah. last year. So if they were able to cause this upset and get into the final, I probably don't think they have enough to beat the Reds. Um, they would be doing very well to beat the Brumbies this week, but how good would that be? What a storyline. It'd be incredible. Yeah. Be incredible. And the only other thing I want to say, unfortunately, it, it's so... It sucks that the Western Force fans aren't going to be able to be there for this game. Um, I don't think with the current COVID situation, I don't think they're going to be allowed to travel um, over to to Canberra for the game, which is a real shame because it would have been so good had there not been COVID to see a proper um, final full stadium at GAO, half Brumbies fans, half Western Force. That would just be an incredible atmosphere. Absolutely wonderful. That'd be, yep. Okay. Well, I have really enjoyed this, mate. We've chatted a lot of good stuff, but I think we need to finish it there. I think Uh, so. We've just got a fantastic game of rugby coming up this weekend. Super excited to see. And best of luck to both teams and both sets of fans who are going to be watching the game. Um, And Ryan Lonigan's not playing, I just heard. So, you serious? No. (laughs) Western Force by 50 then. Mate, I was so upset. Hey, just whilst we were recording this, it's actually been announced that um, Australia is going to be going on a spring tour to uh, England, well, Europe, over the, the November period, and that we've lined up a game versus Wales on Saturday, 20th of November. I haven't seen anything yet about the other matches, but it's been confirmed that we're playing Wales on the 20th of November. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. All right, let's finish it there. Thank you, everybody, for getting us to this point. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.